Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. If you've been tuning in this week, we've been bringing you our series, Reimagine Chicago. Reset teamed up with the University of Chicago's Center for Effective Government to explore new ways the city's major institutions can work better for you. First, we looked at city government in Chicago, specifically the powers of the mayor and the city's 50 aldermen. Look, we've got 50 city council members, and we take that as given. A strong mayor system gets things done. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. We often sit, think we're solving a problem, and we're not, or we say we're giving someone power, and we don't necessarily. The weaknesses is it becomes dictatorial and autocratic. We've been looking at how and why the city council works the way it does. And you've weighed in on your own relationship with your ward's elected representative. I would say my relationship with my alderman, much like many of my neighbors, is widely non-existent unless it's election time. We've also been asking how it can work better, more effectively. And Chicago's inspector general is tasked with doing just that. As the city's independent watchdog, the IG's office reports on corruption, waste, and inefficiencies in the city. And he's got a few ideas on how Chicago city government could work better. We checked in with the IG, and we started first by asking him what he thought about the effectiveness of the Chicago City Council. From my perspective, generally, it doesn't work quite as well as it might. We have what is purported to be a strong council, weak mayor form of government handed down um, from the state and then fashioned locally under home rule. And in point of fact, no surprise, we have an incredibly powerful mayor and an incredibly weak city council. I think the phrase is um, one big mayor, 50 mini-mayors, so 51 mayors. And most aldermen historically have sort of attended to kind of small, hyper-local administration of services, which is okay in one regard if that's the way that we want to do it, but something is not being done. Is the structure the problem or, or does it lie somewhere else? It's the structure. It's both the structure and sort of the will to power, if you will. I don't want to get Nietzschean on anybody, but what the city council has allowed for historically is to be consigned to that hyper-local kind of mayor-light approach to their job and not attending to the core business of a legislative body, which is what the city council is. It's legislative. It's not executive. It shouldn't be in the business of administering services. That's the responsibility of the executive branch. And the legislative branch should be assessing as another form of legislative oversight, assessing how well the city is doing that and making its own sort of analysis and recommendations on how we might be doing better, but leave the day-to-day operations to the executive and tend to legislating. Structurally, the city council is not well served to be effective legislators or legislative overseers right now, and there's a lot of things that we could do about that. We got a question about that from Max in Logan Square. Let's listen. Most aldermen in the city uh, pass thousands of bills during their tenure, but for most of them, only 100 or 200 of those are actually substantive. The rest of those are aldermen who are pursuing parking permits, awning permits, zoning ordinance, things that in every other city would be handled by some sort of objective process rather than a one-off approach by the aldermen that preoccupies their time and prevents them from actually pursuing any substantive legislation. We should be asking, is this the most efficient way for the city to facilitate these services? 
Joe, how do we get council members off ward-specific business and working on the broader city initiatives? Um, first off, he completely nailed it. You should have him on the show more expansively. Um, that That is the essence of where we are. And what we need to do is actually free the aldermen from the bandwidth that they devote to constituent services to put up a sign, put up an awning, have a sidewalk cafe privileges. But that's where we are right now. What we need to do is pull aldermen out of that business. They need to be willing to be pulled out of that business. The older guard is unwilling to be pulled out from that because that's what they see the job is and what it historically has been. I think the younger generation of aldermen say, this is not what I became a legislator for. So then the question is, what do you do to sort of position them to be legislators? Um, And that's a structural issue. And so there's a tension that is going on here. And the hopeful part of me says it's generational. Um, Another sort of generational turn in an electoral cycle would have a lot of younger Um, less tenured members in a position of saying, no, we're here to actually hold the mayor to account. We're here to actually do our own analysis. We're here to actually generate big legislation as opposed to the small board legislation. Um, But there's, again, a whole bunch of steps that need to happen to get us there. I want to take a minute to talk about where the power comes from. This week, we compared our city council to another major U.S. city, and that was Phoenix, Arizona. The power for that council is determined by a city charter. It's a constitution that maps out the ways that a city should work. Most cities in the U.S. have one of those. They have a city charter. Why doesn't Chicago? That's a great question, and it doesn't have to be a charter. We have home rule here. You could have a home rule commission that achieves the same thing that a charter commission and a charter would do that restructures or hits a reset on, on the government. The why we don't has to do with two things. Those who possess the power may not be interested in that reset happening because they're good with the with the power balance and dynamics as they are right now. A second is the public doesn't know that this is a, a significant variance from this city as opposed to cities around the country. I think the number is 13 or 14 of the largest cities have charters. Chicago doesn't. The third largest city doesn't. And it's eminently fixable. New York City went through uh, a process of developing and then revising a charter in the late 80s. That's modern times. Los Angeles did it in the 1990s um, to around 2000. So it can be done, but there needs to be a will to do it. Those with the power may not want to do it, which means that the people have to say where we are is not good enough. And that's where the original tension that you note comes into play. Chicagoans have to be willing to have a government that operates in a way that doesn't get them, say, some extra garbage picked up or refuse or, you know, junk furniture in their back alley simply by calling an alderman. They have to accept a world in which this is centralized to free up their elected legislator to actually do legislative work. But the charter, it's also legally binding, right? And if city council doesn't follow the charter, people can actually sue the city. So with us not having one, what does this mean when it comes to holding people accountable, checks and balances? It's a critical thing. The charters generally create sort of the power of private attorney general, which means a citizen can file suit saying, government actors, you're not doing the job that you're legally obligated to do. And so that's an incredibly important shift in power dynamics. And tell me how we are holding folks accountable. 
then? Like, how, what are our accountability mechanisms? Well, um, in two insufficient ways. Um, unfortunately, the IG can speak about things, but no one is obligated to act on the IG's recommendations. And then the other is the electoral system. And so civic virtue, as defined by James Madison in Federalist Number 10, involved a well-informed populace who were engaged. Um, we're not sufficiently well-informed. We're not sufficient in our holding to account, electoral account, our officials. And uh, so to give you an example of something that's going on right now, when we issued a recent report on the city's handling of the George Floyd demonstrations and civil unrest, one thing that we encountered that I should have known about a long time is that it's mandated that the mayor appoint somebody nominate somebody who has to go to the city council, go through a hearing, be confirmed to a position called administrative officer, which is basically the equivalent of a city manager. It's their job to do the day-to-day -day operations of the city. We elect people to be mayor who don't know administration in the day-to-day -day sense of things. And so the law that was created in 1954 under Mayor Martin Kennelly, maybe the last true reformer that the city had ever seen, requires this city manager position. It has not been filled as best as we can tell since the administration of Jane Byrne in the 1980s. So who's going to hold the mayor to account for that? Well, the city council could, except the city council isn't. If we had a charter, somebody could say, hey, look, that is a mandatory responsibility of the mayor that is not being fulfilled and file a lawsuit to say you, the elected official, must follow the law. I want to ask you about the shape of Chicago's wards. We spoke earlier in the week with Julius Jones. He's an assistant curator at the Chicago History Museum. We asked him about why the wards are so gerrymandered. Um, instead of the wards that are squares or rectangles, you end up with Chicago's second ward, which looks like a lobster. Uh, here's a bit of what he had to say about it. Part of the reason why they're so oddly shaped is because the aldermen themselves get to redraw their boundaries and they have their own interest in making sure that they have particular constituencies, particular groups that allow them to maintain their role and to get reelected. Is there a better way to shape Chicago's wards, Joe, like one that prevents gerrymandering? There is, and we recommended that a long time ago, back in the early uh, 2010s. The maps can basically be drawn by computer, and, and we can argue about sort of the algorithm or the parameters of what goes into the computer modeling of it. But we can have basically objective maps that are drawn. The consequence of the way that we do it, as was just noted by Mr. Jones, there's a component of it that ties to another dynamic. That is the sheer number of aldermen that we have. Between how we draw the maps and the number of aldermen that we have, we end up with a city council where everyone generally, there's a few exceptions, represent a fairly monolithic, homogenous community. And most aldermen like it that way. You don't have to think diversely. You don't need to figure out how to legislate for sort of broader constituencies. And you don't need to vote on the basis of broader, diverse constituencies and therefore the best interests of the city. The other aspect that harms us in all of this is it feeds the um, historical tribalism of Chicago politics, the polarization around race and ethnicity that is in some fashion derived from the fact that 
every alderman, comparatively speaking, represents a homogenous community in terms of race and ethnicity. These things would all change if we had objective, neutral maps that would result in aldermen thinking more about things in the way that serve the interests of the city as a whole rather than their homogenous, hyper-localized constituent group. During your term, you've put forward a lot of potential fixes for areas where your office saw waste and mismanagement, but not all of those suggested ideas have manifested whether it's about the police department's gang database or the city's recycling program. So what do you think is behind that inertia? (laughs) Human nature and Chicago exceptionalism as a cultural matter. Chicago exceptionalism was always, we're different, we know better, we've got this, right? And that's the way it's always been, and that's good enough for us. Well, Chicago exceptionalism has come to mean that the city of Chicago, in so many aspects of its operation, is lagging further and further behind its peers. It's behind the curve. That's a cultural matter. As a structural matter, we really need to do a hard reset on the city council. Committees need to have staff that only do committee work. The positions in the city council should have job descriptions. Aldermen, each of them, 50 of them, run their own offices as best as they can figure out how to run them. They don't have an administrative officer to help them with core HR, benefits, timekeeping, leases, insurance, office equipment, computers, communication needs, so on and so forth. They get no help for that. The council doesn't have its own attorney. The council's attorney is the corporation council, who should be the council for the people, practically speaking, is the council for the mayor. And so you basically have a conflict of interest right there, and so on and so forth. And to your, to, to the caller's observation, we need to start to restructure things where those executive, administrative, localized functions are pulled out of the city council. And we should question why we have 19 committees. Most cities are about half that size, and why we have 50 aldermen, most cities having significantly less, at least per capita. And so all these things can be part of a hard reset that fundamentally changes the city council and how it operates and makes it more effective and more meaningful as a legislative check and an innovator of legislation itself. New York City did it. So Chicago exceptionalism suggests we can do it, too. But all of these things would be things that would be discussed as part of a charter commission or a home rule commission. We are generations overdue for that. Really, the fact that we haven't gone there is almost an embarrassment. We're next in line. Maybe we're next in line, right, being the third largest. That's right. That's Inspector General Joe Ferguson. Thank you so much for your insight. And thank you for your time. It's time to wrap up our Reimagine Chicago series on city government. We just heard from the city inspector general, Joe Ferguson, who suggested more accountability, a city manager or administrator, and even a city charter as a few possible solutions. And now we hear more solutions from a longtime alderman and community member for their takes. Joining us to weigh in on how we can create a stronger, more inclusive city government is Maritza Bandera. She's program manager of Chicago Community Trust, an organization that brings together community members and changemakers working to strengthen our region. Maritza, welcome to Reset. Thank you so much for having me. Also with us is Alderman Anthony Beal. He represents the Ninth Ward, which covers the Roseland, Pullman, and Riverdale neighborhoods on the far south side. Alderman Beal, thanks for joining us. 
Thanks so much. Good to be here. Alderman, I'll start with you. You are serving your sixth term. In 1999, you were the youngest member of city council at the age of 31. Can you take us back to that time? What was City Hall like back then? Well, back then, the climate was definitely different in City Hall. I can honestly tell you, when I came in, the biggest thing that I had to do was clean my ward up. And it was all about city service and what you can do to serve the people in your community. And that's what I would really dug in to do. I'd clean up vacant lots and start the process of planning for redevelopment. And what you see now is the fruits of the labor of the hard work that we've done years ago by just laying that foundation. Right now, we've created over a billion dollars in public-private investment in the war in the last 10 years. We've created over 1,700 jobs. And it was because when we first came in, we just had to learn the lay of the land and understand how we can utilize city services and relationships with other levels of government and how we can partner with corporate in order to bring those private dollars in. And we've done that successfully. Earlier this week, we spoke with two former Chicago politicians about the relationship between the mayor and the city council. The strong mayor system does have some advantages. It gets things done. The weaknesses is it becomes dictatorial and autocratic. It was particularly vivid in Mayor Richard J. term of office. We often think we're solving a problem and we're not, or we say we're giving someone power and we don't necessarily. And I think that is exactly what should be avoided when determining the responsibility of city council versus the mayor. That was former Alderman Dick Simpson and Helen Schiller. And we talked with two newcomers about how they're trying to reimagine the role of an alderman. And city council now... We've had a little bit of success moving the bar, but, you know, I, I'm a little frustrated at politics as usual. And I'll point to an example. Look at police oversight. We have groundbreaking legislation that's been put together by two amazing community-based coalitions in GAPA and CPAC. And, you know, that legislation can't see the light of day. I want to be in a city where we don't work in silos because that's actually what's wrong with the city. We don't work together. We do one-offs, and it has not worked. That was Alderman Jeanette Taylor of the 20th Ward and Alderman Michael Rodriguez of the 22nd Ward. Alderman Beal, what are your thoughts? Is there anything that you would change about how City Hall runs or how aldermen operate? Well, I can tell you right now, <clears throat> City Hall is not running. Um, the city's in turmoil. It's, uh, it's totally dysfunctional, and we've been trying to get things going but we just have lack of cooperation from the administration, total lack of disregard and disrespect for the role and responsibilities of the alderman, trying to take authority away. And if we had taken authority away from the alderman, I would not have been successful in bringing all this development to my community. And the administration doesn't have the relationships, doesn't have the respect of the city council because, you know, if we suggest something, if we make a recommendation, it's totally shot down and totally dismissed. Maritza, I want to bring you in here. Chicago city government is known for its public hearings, right, where residents can sound off with their opinions on any big projects or the mayor's agenda. Critics will say that public hearings are just for show and that the community's input often doesn't actually get incorporated. Is there a better way? What is your take on, on our public hearings? You know, it is unfortunate that that feeling, that then that sentiment is real. And I understand, right, you want to get as many people to provide input, but when you limit people and not allow them to speak their piece, because oftentimes when people just ran and just share all of their concerns at any given public hearing, it's because you realize 
the shortage of opportunities that we provide residents to provide input. So part of how we make them better is to ensure that when we think of it about inclusion, that we do it through an equity lens. Are we ensuring that every able-bodied person and not able-bodied is able to participate? So if people have to show up in person, that's already a challenge because maybe not everybody can go in person. How do we ensure that we're providing child care for working families that maybe want to be part of the process, but they can't because they have to take all their children there. So we have to think about the processes and what we're providing people to ensure that they can participate. And I think part of the challenge too is not being transparent. If at some of these town hall meetings, you're just telling people, oh, we're gonna incorporate your input and that's really not gonna happen, Already, there's a fracture right there in trust. You helped plan, create, and implement an engagement model that's actually being replicated in communities across the country. Uh, Can you briefly just tell us a bit more about On the Table and and how it's connected Chicago residents who are working together around this common purpose? On the Table is a region-wide initiative of the Chicago Community Trust where we ask residents to come together and reimagine or imagine the solutions. We know persistently like what are some of the problems and issues in many of our communities. And I think it is important and we believe it's important to have residents be part of the process to identify solutions. In 2019, we had the memo to the mayor. You know, we were having our newly elected mayor come into office. We wanted to have residents to gift her and share with her what are their dreams, what are their aspirations for the solutions that they want to see transpire in the community. And a lot of what people were sharing were very basic. A lot of things around transparency, a lot of things around participation from when board meetings are held, when open wide town halls are held in asking residents for their ideas and to be part of a process. And it's interesting, right? We always think that residents are going to ask and come up with solutions that are very complex. And more often than not, they're very basic that could be implemented. But part of the challenge is that it's the impetus. Where's the will to ensure that residents are being heard and that they're part of these processes where they're ideating solutions? What do you think we can learn from this kind of engagement model? And how can those lessons be applied to improve the way that our city government is structured? I think for sure in terms of the participatory piece, it's ensuring that residents are going to be part of that process, but in the most basic way is to really think about how, when meetings are held, how their information and their input is being incorporated. We know, and we hear this, our communities are planned to death. They're surveyed to death. They've been asked what they want, and I I don't know if the hope is that we're going to hear something different, but we're hearing the same thing, affordable housing, more safety communities, better education. So we hear the same thing over and over again. In terms of how to make it better and ensure that they're being included, is just to be transparent about how their, their thoughts and input is going to be incorporated. And if it's not, then just be, be transparent about that. Aldermen in Chicago, they often function more as mini-mayors. We've heard that term quite a bit. Um, Rather than true legislators offering bills that would affect the city as a whole. Alderman Beal, what are the benefits and drawbacks of that system? Well, we offer up legislation, and that's our role and responsibility. But at the same time, if you look at the history of the city of Chicago, people look to their aldermen 
for their day-to-day way of living. Make sure the lights are on. Make sure the snow is plowed. Make sure the garbage is picked up. Make sure our streets are safe and things like that. So, yes, we are many mayors. But at the same time, when we're trying to do our job and, and responsibilities and we're totally disregarded, it makes it extremely hard. I mean, I can tell you, it has been very hard working with this administration as far as getting the simplest things done because they're micromanaging and constantly overseeing everything that really doesn't need to be overseen, and it's slowing down the progress of this city. And so when you look at development, development has come to a standstill. When you look at um, you know all the planning in this Invest Southwest, we have planned for 20 years. You know, the 23 years I've been in office, 23 years. But where is the substance? You may have one or two one-offs, and I think that's what Alderman Taylor was alluding to. You can have all these little one-offs, but is it going to be impactful for the community? We've been asking residents to tell us about their relationship with their aldermen. We heard from a number of people across the city. Some gave glowing reports, while others didn't mince their words. I'm Erin, and I live in the 45th District in Old Irving Park. My name is Brian Thompson. I live in South Shore. This is Lisa calling from North Kenwood in Chicago, the 4th Ward. I have had a lot of negative interactions, I would say, or non-existent interactions with Jim Gardner, who is my alder person in the 45th Ward. My alderman is Greg Mitchell. That's the 7th Ward, and his assistant is Soli. And they've been extremely helpful in the problems I've brought to them. And I just want to give them a shout out and a thank you. My experience has been less than pleasant and disappointing. I'm a small business owner in North Kenwood and have lived here for 20 years this year. Now, Lisa went on to say that she ran into issues with expanding her home base business. Uh, Maritza, as someone who's very involved in the community, what's your reaction to what you just heard? Yeah, it's difficult when we hear that, right? When we hear that our small business owners, there is a heart to an extent from an economy standpoint from our communities. So it is a challenge. We all have a role to play. I will say that just as you hear from someone that's having a struggle or just not being able to connect with their alderman, you will hear someone that, as you've shared, that has a great relationship with them. And I think part of it is just being involved in the civic process. If the alderman or alderwoman is not doing their part to represent and be of resource to their residents, then we need to hold them accountable. And what does that accountability look like? It looks like showing up to their ward meetings. It looks like the ballot office, right? Like who's running against them? Who's running against our current elected officials that are not holding up their end of the bargain? Well, as we wrap up here, I would like to get you to reflect on your hopes for Chicago. Our city has a lot of potential, but sometimes it can feel overwhelming to make any kind of transformational change. So forget about resources or money for a second. What is your dream for Chicago? Alderman Beal? My overall dream is to have uh, all communities where we can sit on our porch and walk up and down the street without feeling afraid and providing a quality education for all of our kids on a day-to-day basis and uh, not having all these three- and four-tier schools where only the a select few can get a great education and the rest are left to fend for themselves. And then, you know, to be able to have a place where you can get on the CTA and get downtown, um, you know, because the south side of Chicago still has not connected to the red line all the way to the city limits, to be able to have access to all the, the jobs and amenities that downtown has to offer, 
And so, you know, the, the vision that I see for this city is a safe, well-educated, well-employed city that is thriving on a day-to-day basis. And we can get there if we work together, because I believe in this city. I love this city, born and raised here, and I'm never going to give up. Maritza, what are your hopes for Chicago? Do we have all the ingredients that it takes to make Chicago a thriving city for everyone? My dream is that everybody will be able to live their fullest lives as they would want to see in the city, that they can walk outside and not worry about their safety, that down the street they can have a school that's going to provide them the best quality of education ever, that people have access to jobs that are providing livable wages. The dream, again, is for everyone to just live full, thriving lives in in our city. That's it for today's Reset podcast and this week's installment of Reimagine Chicago. We'll continue bringing you this series in the coming weeks. And next week, we'll reimagine public investment and how money gets spent here in Chicago. That's it for today. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.